Hello, God for Grown Ups listeners. It's Dan Peterson, sharing my sermon from Queen Anne Lutheran Church's weekly audio service. Why follow Jesus? I have never understood the beginning of Jesus' ministry, at least according to Mark and Matthew. Now, when I say beginning, I am not referring to Jesus' baptism or the temptation he undergoes in the wilderness. I am thinking rather of our gospel reading for today, the passage in Mark where Jesus calls his first disciples. Here's the problem. It doesn't make sense. We heard the story. Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers, Simon and Andrew, who were fishing. He says, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. How then do they respond? They drop their nets and immediately follow him without any explanation whatsoever. Next, Jesus encounters another pair of brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. He calls them, they drop their nets they were mending, and immediately they follow him, again, without any explanation. How do we explain such rash behavior on the part of the earliest disciples? In a moment, I will share with you, after hours of painstaking research, what I believe to be the best answer to the question of why the disciples immediately left everything to follow Jesus, one that sheds light as well on what it might mean for us to follow him today. But first, I would like to sketch a few fascinating alternatives I found along the way by briefly comparing Mark's account to the three other Gospels. Mark was the first gospel to be written. Most experts place its composition between 65 and 70 of the first century, just before the destruction of the Jewish temple by the Romans. According to the dominant theory, Matthew and Luke depended on Mark, in addition to several other sources, when they retold the story of Jesus about a decade later to different audiences. John written last, bears no influence of Mark. It relies on sources completely independent of the first gospel. Matthew has the most in common with Mark. He tells us, just as Mark does, that Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, sees Andrew and Simon, whom he calls. Then he sees and calls James and John, the sons of Zebedee. All four respond immediately to his call. Matthew, however, leaves out a significant detail, one to which we will return shortly. Luke deviates drastically from Matthew and Mark. He seems to recognize the problem. Why would the first disciples follow Jesus without explanation. The details of the story change accordingly. Here, Jesus never calls Simon, Andrew, James, or John from the shore. Instead, 
oppressed by the crowd of people seeking to be taught and healed, he leaves the shore, gets into Simon's boat, addresses the crowd from there, and then instructs Simon to put them out over deeper waters and cast their nets for fish. Simon protests. He and his crew had been fishing all night, but without any luck. He proceeds anyway, only to watch in amazement as the nets fill to capacity. Then Jesus says to him, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. Notice the difference. Jesus calls no one from the shore. Instead, he simply declares that Peter will catch people. We hear nothing of Andrew or Zebedee. Luke wants us, it would seem, to hear something else, namely, an explanation for why these disciples followed Jesus. It was a miracle. John offers the same explanation, but the details and the setting differ sharply from Luke's account. The scene takes place on dry land with no reference to the Sea of Galilee, boats, or fishing for people. Andrew returns, however. Accompanied by an unnamed disciple, he approaches Jesus upon hearing John the Baptist call him the Lamb of God. Then he goes and tells Simon. The next day, Jesus finds Philip and says, Follow me. Philip tells his friend Nathaniel, who responds positively to Jesus after Jesus miraculously saw Nathaniel sitting under a tree when he was alone. Like Luke, John provides an explanation at least for why Nathaniel became a follower of Jesus. It, too, was a miracle. Luke and John offer us something lacking in the accounts of Mark and Matthew, namely, a reason for why the first disciples would leave everything to follow Jesus. Perhaps they recognized the need for the story to supply an explanation rather than leave their audiences guessing. But I wonder, could there be other, more compelling reasons for why these fishermen suddenly became fishers of men? I submit there are, although even these have their shortcomings. Let me explain several of them. The first is economic. Most people alive during the time of Jesus were poor. They lived in, with, and under conditions of extreme poverty. The disciples whom Jesus first called presumably belonged to this class, as did Jesus himself. He was a tradesman, and they were fishermen. As such, New Testament scholars tell us, in abandoning their profession, they didn't have much to give up or lose. Almost any alternative would have been a better alternative. By contrast, consider the rich man who approaches Jesus according to Mark 10. Good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You probably know the response. Jesus tells him to keep the commandments by naming six of them as examples. In turn, the rich man says, Teacher, 
I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus answers by telling the man he must do one more thing. Sell all his possessions and give the money to the poor. Then come, follow me, Jesus adds. But the rich man can't do it. He grieves and leaves. Why? Because he had too much to lose. No wonder Matthew provides an addendum in his version of the story. There, following the rich man's departure, Jesus explains to his disciples the difficulty people of wealth will have in entering God's kingdom. They have too much to lose. The economic explanation helps us make sense concerning why the first disciples were so quick to leave their profession, save one important detail. According to Mark 1.20, when James and John left their father Zebedee on the boat so they could follow Jesus, they not only left him, they also left his employees, his hired men. This implies that Zebedee, as the Lutheran Bible scholar Mark Allen Powell observes, was at least a moderately wealthy man. Indeed, Matthew lists his wife, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, as one of the women who provided, presumably financially, for Jesus. Why would she and her sons follow Jesus if indeed they had something, perhaps much, to lose? The point is simple. Not all of Jesus' followers were poor, which means they must have had other reasons for becoming his supporters and disciples. Perhaps people followed Jesus then for political reasons. Jesus drew Simon the Zealot into his orbit. Maybe Maybe Simon was a violent Jewish revolutionary who sought to overthrow Rome and who expected Jesus to lead the way. Most biblical scholars, however, think otherwise. Such men would have unlikely associated with Jesus or the Twelve, they indicate, and the term zealot could simply refer to Simon's enthusiastic disposition. If, therefore, economic or political motivations do not necessarily or entirely explain why the first disciples followed Jesus without hesitation, how else might we explain their response? Could it be, as Lawrence Wills observes in the Jewish Annotated New Testament, that Jesus' method of calling in Mark is likely based on Elijah's calling of Elisha? After all, Jesus and Elijah both call followers, the disciples and Elisha both respond immediately, and they explicitly leave their parents in order to follow. This similarity establishes continuity between Jesus and the prophetic tradition, although it merely deflects the question. Why did Elisha respond to Elijah's call without giving it a second thought? The Gospel of John provides one more possibility. There we have no indication of what the disciples, before following Jesus, did for a living. 
Perhaps they sought something altogether different than money or power. When Andrew and an anonymous disciple approach Jesus for the first time, he asks them what they seek. What are you looking for, he says. Could they be looking for purpose, meaning, or belonging, just like so many of us seem to be doing in a culture of increasing isolation and loneliness? Imagine if Jesus asked you the question he asked Andrew. Maybe you are the anonymous disciple. How would you respond? What are you looking for? There is probably some truth in all of the aforementioned explanations regarding why the first disciples gave up everything to follow Jesus. One answer remains, however that I have been saving until last. I find it the most compelling. It's this. The people of Jesus' time desperately sought what many seek in ours. They sought hope, and Jesus gave it to them. Think about it. Life expectancy was short. As Atul Gawanda observes in Being Mortal, For most of our hundred thousand year existence, all but the past couple hundred years, the average lifespan of human beings has been 30 years or less. Research suggests that subjects of the Roman Empire had an average life expectancy of 28 years. Life in the first century was a short sprint from womb to tomb. The individual, moreover, felt as if he was in what the theologian Paul Tillich calls the hands of powers, natural as well as political, which were completely beyond his control and calculation. Is this not our situation too? We may have tripled our life expectancy thanks to modern medicine and hygiene practices, but consider the many other overwhelming threats that potentially spell our demise as individuals, as a nation, or even as a world. A pandemic rages. Violence threatens our democracy. Climate change advances at a rate beyond the gloomiest of scientific predictions. Could there be something in Jesus that would give us the hope and courage to face these threats just as the disciples of the first century faced theirs? Jesus offers us a way. Resist violence for the sake of reform. Be a peacemaker. Seek the truth especially in a context of rabid conspiracy theories, and put the public good above personal interest. But he offers us hope, too. After all, we know the end of his story. May that ending give us the hope to live out ours. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can hear the full audio service at queenannelutheran.org. 
You can also subscribe to the Queen Anne Lutheran podcast wherever you listen. I'll be back soon with another episode of God for Grownups. Ups.